The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. All right, really fun episode today with a new guest, someone who's kind enough to come on, despite the, the fact, Rich, that uh, you and I have never met in person at, as we were talking about. But uh, your reputation precedes you from uh, the awesome Sixers Beat podcast and, of course, uh, your work with The Athletic Philly. How are you doing? I'm good, Nate. Happy to be on. Yeah, uh, likewise. So uh, this Philly season, I've done a bunch of their games for the NBA cast recently. Shameless plug. I'm going to be doing a bunch of them uh philly milwaukee coming up uh on christmas uh, you've been covering these guys forever uh, but i wanted to get your just overall impression of the sixers season covering it what has really come to mind for you as you just think about this season in totality right now it kind of feels like we don't know a lot yet about this team where you know i think they've only played I forget the exact number. I think it's 113 minutes together with their starting lineup. Uh, it's been, it's been like a lot of Sixers seasons where the, the highs are, are pretty good, where, you know, you have games where they just completely stifle a good team like Boston. They, they got a win there the other night. And then there are nights where they turn the ball over like crazy and lose in Washington. So I don't think it's, it's been out of the ordinary in that regard. But, uh, yeah, I feel like I don't, have a perfect grasp of this team yet despite the fact that we're already a third of the season in yes some of those games that they've had defensively at the wells fargo center you start to see what the vision was where they i mean that game where they completely destroyed miami for instance i I mean there have been very few teams that have been able to come in there and get a bucket they have always been an emotional team that's the way people in their front office would describe them and i think that stems from their best player being Joel Embiid. I think part of that is that they play so much better at home, too. And, and you see that they play these good teams, whether it's Denver or Toronto or, or whoever comes in. I, I know they, they have not played a particularly tough schedule yet. But a lot of these teams come in, and this has been true of the past couple of years. They come in, and at some point in the first or second quarter, they get hit with a massive run. And you're seeing it with guys like Matisse Thybul, who is way better at home now. And beat it. There is something about that. I think they're the last undefeated team in the NBA at this point. You're seeing the flashes, but it's still, you know, it's, there's still some things that need to be worked out offensively. I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of that. But uh, yeah, it's, I think for the most part, in terms of what their strengths and weaknesses are, it's been pretty much as build. But yeah, they definitely need to get those starters healthy and, uh, but, you know, because they need to develop some sort of chemistry by the time the playoffs roll around. Yeah, you know, the way you put it of these guys as a high-variance team is something I hadn't thought about. But I think that really resonates a lot 
with me because uh, certainly during the regular season, there's just health, there's availability. Embiid, they're trying to keep him in one piece yep. before the playoffs. Horford also is a an older guy that they're that maybe they've even ridden a little bit too hard. He's had this knee soreness, but I think this team does have a lot of variability because they need guys who you know are okay shooters to make threes. Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, and then I think their two best players offensively, maybe, I don't know if you consider Simmons their second best player, maybe we could talk about that, but uh, Embiid and Simmons to me are extremely dependent upon matchups for the other team defensively, right? If the other team has Marc Gasol or someone who they are comfortable guarding Embiid in the post one-on-one, now this offense doesn't necessarily have a bread and butter but if Embiid can go to work like he did against the Celtics the other night and Daniel Tice is the guy guarding him, then I think a, a lot of that changes. So I see it that way as this team just really can change night to night depending on the matchup. Yeah, and Simmons, he has not taken the steps that I think he has needed in terms of offensive consistency. So still- steps uh, behind the three-point line? That would he's be. Kinda, he's kind of like about th- three or four steps away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> would, that, would that be accurate? Yeah, I, I have described his development path as two different tracks. There's the the one this season that that I think is more realistic for him to get to, and that's attacking the rim more. And that hasn't happened. He has not driven the ball as much to the basket. If you look at the tracking numbers, he has not gotten to the line as much. Although that started to creep up, I think mainly because he's been getting hacked a lot at the end of these games. And he just he just has not found a way to have consistent offense. I, it's I think it was Rob Mahoney who wrote this in the summer. I think he put it pretty well. It's it's pretty obvious what Simmons does well and what he doesn't do well. It's how you make sense of it all, and you you can say a lot of things that are really positive about him, and I would agree with a lot of them. And you can say things that that are negative, and I I would just say that a lot of those positive attributes, I don't feel like he has put them into use at, at the level that this particular Sixers team needs him to when with, with the way they build it with the all defense lineup and then they need him to do a little bit more. And then there's the three point shot, which is, I think, you know, it's been very discussed nationally, locally. Uh, it's kind of amazing. I mean, he takes one three every month and then he just doesn't do it again. And y- you have to wonder if there's something a little bit mental there because he, uh, when he gets asked about this and he gets asked about it a lot, he'll say, well, I'm just trying to get my teammates involved. And when I watch, it seems like the, the two threes he's taken, the, the second one, which was against Cleveland, Brett Brown, when they're up 30 against the Cleveland team, that was very reminiscent of those early process teams on that night. They just didn't have it. They drew up a specific play where it was a pick and roll for Trey Burke to get Ben a corner three, and he took it. And the other one was against his own defense where he was set. But in the flow of a game, he's not even looking at the rim. And that's uh, that's frustrating because if we're going to have to see this again, I mean, we've seen it for two straight playoffs where he just sits in the dunker spot at the end of games and he really doesn't do much. You, you see his fourth quarter usage stats. They're not they're not very high. He's not doing anything on the offensive end. And from what we've seen so far, I just wonder if that's going to be the case again come you know May, especially when you get to the, the second round of the playoffs, the third round of the playoffs, when you find really good defenses because that's where I think you see those matchups that you were talking about when in the course of the offense when he doesn't have the ball 
is he standing outside the three-point line, they throw it to him, and he just record scratches and doesn't take the open shot, or is he not even standing out there? He's not really even standing there. There were a couple times where I, I sit next to uh, our friend Derek Bodner at the games where I've pointed out, oh, man, this is cool. He's actually standing behind the three-point line, but it really hasn't happened all that much. And I think back to before the year, Brett Brown said that I'm going to space him in the corner this year. That That's going to happen. Uh, it hasn't. You know, you've seen it a couple times when he shot those threes, and it, it's funny when you see before games, he works on corner threes a lot. And I, I don't think it's a perfect shot by any means. His elbow flares out, but but it's certainly better than what it has been in past years. You can tell working with Chris Johnson in the offseason that he's put in work, and frankly, the two threes that he's made have looked pretty good. They look smooth. You know, it doesn't look like a disaster or anything. No, you have not seen him out at the three-point line all that much. It's it's a lot of drifting inside the the paint. Uh there's some sometimes where he's weirdly standing at the elbow and that's been that's been frustrating in that regard. And on this team, it stands out more when you don't have somebody like JJ Reddick or or Jimmy Butler. Because in past years when teams would just play off him, JJ Reddick as a DHO guy with Ben would be really good. I mean, I remember there was one game against the Lakers where LeBron was playing basically under the rim against Simmons and Reddick got a bunch of buckets and Simmons is a, is a willing screen setter and, and all of those things, but no, he is not spaced out to the three point line that much this season. Yeah. I mean, that was the, the thing that he would do if they would try to build the wall and transition against him, he would just go find Redick and get Redick an open three. And now they don't really have that level of threatening shooter. Yeah. When I saw Ben for the first time at the 2015 hoop summit, he was taking three-pointers. He would take up in the, the flow of game. Granted, that was the FIBA line. He wasn't making a bunch of them, but it looked like he at least would take them. And I was worried that, hey, maybe the ball is not going to go in for him. But I, I never would have predicted that uh, we would have had just this total unwillingness uh, to take them. And even I would say, uh, I've uh, and so there's that's the off-ball component. But if he were just a little bit better on ball, then maybe it wouldn't matter, right? You would be giving him the ball, and you got to guard him when he has the ball, but I think he's even regressed in terms of his ability to just get a shot at the free throw line when the defense goes under, you know, that was his rookie year. That shot wasn't just totally gone. And now it really is. I mean, he, he's taking very few like two point jumpers off the dribble. I thought he made that shot at least enough that like the defense had to pretend that he was going to take it, uh, his rookie year. And it, that hasn't been the case of late. Yeah, and those teams had more spacing. At the end of the year, they had Ilyasova and Bellinelli and JJ. Those guys didn't miss a shot for like two months. And and Ben, at the end of that year, was attacking the rim, and he had a ton of space. And, you know, I think while we're talking about how he has either either regressed a little bit or not gotten better offensively, there's still a lot of positive things he does offensively. I think one of the things coming into the season that I thought – was going to be good was the pairing with Al Horford. Those lineups are killing people offensively yeah. without uh, specifically the ones without Embiid. I think they're in the 97th percentile according to Cleaning Glass, but it's kind of because Horford is the perfect skill set match with Ben. He likes to run. Ben really likes to get to about the free throw line and find trail guys and maybe guys uh on the wing, th- those type of areas. Horford is good at that and there's just space to move and those lineups have been really good, but the problem comes when you have these this supersized starting lineup, which, again, has not played a ton. They're relying on Simmons and Embiid to do more than they have even in the past, 
And yeah, it's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's, you look at his numbers, they're about the same as the past and, and the Sixers need more. So you hit on a couple of points there with Simmons that I, I think are interesting. And you can say, Hey, you know what? This team needs scoring. He's not being able to do that. But I think it's clear other than that end of his rookie year when Embiid was out and they had a ton of shooting around him, no team has really been built around him, right? Like you would love it if, say, the way the Pistons use Blake Griffin or the Bucks use Giannis, if you could ever see him in that kind of a scenario with the team really built around him, then maybe he would be a totally different player. Of course, uh, the 76ers will not be building a team like that uh, around Ben Simmons uh, anytime soon. So it is left to him to kind of figure out where he needs to work with this group. I think the other thing that I, I am always so disappointed by him is just around the rim that he, he just avoids contact, that he doesn't go up strong, that it's he'll get there and then it's just this hook shot coming across the lane or something. He has this preternatural ability to get back down really hard, be really strong, and then just kind of fade away with the, that right-handed jump hook every time he goes up and if he would just go through guys i think he could be so much better as a post player like his individual offense has been a disappointment to me this year and then the funny thing too is that it's not that he's shying away from contact in other scenarios when he's posting up right he's like really putting his shoulder into a guy and trying to move him down the floor on defense he is a super physical player as well it's just when he gets around the rim i agree with you there is you know, it's a it's a hook shot. It's it's just not a, a consistent source of offense. It's a it's a little floater that you wish he would go stronger. And there there are times during games where I see him attacking in transition, and there are shooters on the wings. He is a pass first player a lot of times in those scenarios. And to be clear, you know, finding open threes in transition that's not a terrible thing, especially when the guys who he's playing with are, are pretty limited offensively. They're mostly catch and shoot guys. But there are also times when I'm thinking back to a couple weeks ago, they played the Raptors. He had a nasty dunk on Marcus Gasol where he drove it right at Gasol and he just dunked on him left-handed. And, and you watch that and think back to all the other times that maybe he shies away from contact or, or he goes to that hook shot and think, man, I wish you would just try and dunk more and, and just, just get to the line. Because I mean, while he's not a very good free throw shooter, he's been hovering around 60% his entire career. I'd rather you make one of two and let the you know the defense get set than than fire that shot up. I think that the math would work out there. But uh, you know, I think at this point it, it's uh, it, it is what it is. But it, it certainly there's going to be some questions about him defensively or offensively in the playoffs because you, you think back to this past week. He plays the Cavs. He plays one of the most dominant games I've ever seen. But it was against a yeah. bad opponent. Yeah, a, a lot of teams have played one of the most dominant games we've ever seen <laughs> against the Caps. That they just they they have no rim protection and absolutely no wings or no size at the perimeter. It's incredible how bad they are defensively. And then he plays against the Nuggets and the Celtics, two of the top defenses in the league. And some some of it was that against the Celtics they played through Embiid a lot. So so naturally he's going to have fewer assists and fewer shots. But he doesn't affect the game offensively. And I'm not sure there's a guy in the league where. You can see him score, I don't know, 26 points and have 10 assists and, and think it's not a fluke. But then a couple games later, see him take six shots and have five assists and four turnovers and also think it's not a fluke. And that's kind of where we are right now. What's it been like to cover Ben Simmons? What's he like from a, 
a personality standpoint with this group, you think? He doesn't let you see a lot of his personality. I think J.J. Redick put it really well in the past. He's kind of like a guy who's sitting behind a police wall where he's looking out at the world, but you can't see what he's actually thinking. I know some people don't think he uh, – sometimes he can be a little, little snippy with his remarks, but in general, I think his teammates really like him. He's a, he's a popular guy with them. But yeah, in terms of trying to explain his his strengths and, and his weaknesses, he doesn't really give you a ton there. All right. Got lots more coming here with Rich. Let's take a quick break here. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code cap space at checkout you remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us first all right so next thing i wanted to ask you about here uh when you compare to your preseason expectations for this team and i think you know obviously they haven't been together that much we always say that about them but as you try to project ahead to what this team might be in the playoffs what's been better what's been worse than your expectations so far this year uh you know i I think back to the the general idea of are are they do they have a better chance at going deep in the playoffs than i thought earlier in the year i I guess it would be about the same or maybe slightly worse and look some of that has been outside of their control the top of the east it just feels like it's better than saying Milwaukee and the Sixers are the class of the conference, which I think a lot of people would have went with earlier in the season. And maybe that turns out to be the case, but I think you at least have to take notice of what Boston, Toronto, Miami, even Indiana, if they get a decent Oladipo back, what they've done early in the season. And then the main thing is that Giannis looks great and Milwaukee is still this regular season machine. Then you look at the Sixers' offense. I think they're 12th in cleaning the glass right now. But before the season with this group, I actually thought that was a decent range to be in, that 10th to 12th spot with a dominant defense. But it just feels like that's a little smoke and mirrors, that there's more work to be done there. They've played one of the easier schedules in the league. It looks clunky at times, although that's to be expected. This team is not going to play pretty basketball by any means. And then, you know, we talked about it, Simmons and Embiid in particular. There are some questions about what they look like against the elite defenses and and the tougher matchups. But I think with all that said, we talked about how their starters have only played a little over 100 minutes. I don't think that has affected their record all that much. Usually they have four of the five guys playing, but it's unbelievable just how how they can have one guy suddenly come up with something when the other guy comes back. You know, it's when Josh Richardson's dealing with his hamstring for a few weeks, he comes back and guess what? Al Horford has the same thing. Earlier this season, and B gets suspended for two games. And the second he comes back, oops, Simmons injured his shoulder for a few games. And they just, they haven't been able to work on that chemistry that I think they're going to need come playoff time. And the, the one thing I will say about them, there, there is this nagging feeling in the back of my head. And, and I've seen other people comment similar to this, that this team is more built for the playoffs, that when you can't sneak up on them with certain offensive sets and when the play generally slows down, this team's size is generally a pain to play against. And I think we saw that a little bit last year. Even though Toronto definitely missed some open shots in that series, Fred Van Vliet in particular, just I, I don't know what happened to him, but yeah. certainly he's certainly happy they advanced because he was so much better in those last couple series. <laughs> uh, I think it was clear, though, that the Sixers had some size to do with it. And all you had to do was listen to the Raptors players and Nick Nurse talk about afterwards. They said, you know, they're, they're a tricky matchup. And now they're even bigger. Now they went from... J.J. Redick, who, you know, he executes a scheme, but he was somebody who you could definitely hunt defensively. And then Jimmy Butler, who I think, wow, he was a major part come playoff time. He was awesome in a lot of those games, particularly the home games. During the regular season, especially, his defense, I think, is pretty overrated at this point. He's kind of 
living on that old Thibodeau Bulls reputation when when he was legitimately awesome. Yeah. Also, Kawhi completely destroyed him in Game One, and they just had to take him off of uh, take him off of Kawhi. I remember that too. Yep. And then they went to Simmons, who again got lit up by Kawhi, but I thought he did a very admirable job trying to trying to deal with him. And there's no yeah. there's no shame in Kawhi lighting you up with the way he was playing in the playoffs. So. You know, I, I think there is a sense that playoff Sixers might be better than this team, although offensively there are some questions. So, so what has been better or worse? I, you know, I think I, I talked about how the Simmons Horford lineups were. Were I thought they were going to be good. They're probably better than I thought. And then you specifically look back to this Toronto series last year. What was the number? Was it pl- minus twelve in the three minutes he sat in Game Seven? <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. Oh, I think I think that seared into uh, into everyone's brain. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I shouldn't have said what. What is it? I, I knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was joking on the NBA cast. I think uh, O'Quinn was like negative twelve and uh, twelve minutes uh, in, in that game against Boston. I was like, oh yeah, well at least he was only like a quarter as bad as they were in <laughs> game seven. Yeah. Kylo Quinn, his, uh, his net rating's been, been pretty rough this year, but uh, is it, but really quick aside, is that his fault? Is, no, is he, has he been so. bad or is it just, you know, other things beyond his control? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's, it's a small sample and they're playing on nights when they're playing with different rotations. No, I, I think he's a better player than what the, the on-off numbers have been. Now, that said, in the playoffs, I don't think you want to play him. You you certainly want to play yeah. and beat about 35 minutes a game or so, 36 minutes a game, and then let Horford take those other minutes. So to me, it's clear that they're going to be better when, when Horford plays and perhaps good. I think they're, they're a positive when Embiid sits at this point, which you would take any day of the week. Last year, I mean, they were trying to squeeze minutes out of Greg Monroe in that, that series. It was just... That was a guy they signed in April. It was crazy. So, so that's good. Uh, I think the, the Horford and Bede pairing offensively has been bad. And Embiid talked about that a little bit last week where he said, we, we got to get better, the two of us. But when those two play, it's, it's been his build. I mean, it's, it's comical how hard it is to score on them. And teams don't make shots. The Sixers completely own the glass. And I think the rebounding is something that has gone to expectations this season. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive when those guys play. And then I guess the one other major positive in terms of the uh, the personnel, if, if you forget his contract and what they gave up for him, which I think in both cases was too much, I have been impressed by how consistent Tobias Harris has been as an all-around player. And that comes even with him shooting poorly from the three-point line. But but he's passing a little better. He's the rare guy in the offseason who talked about improving his defense and I think he actually has. He's had some big moments at the end of games, and you can tell he really cares about this. And and if he is your if, if that version of him is your weak link defensively, you're going to be pretty good. So you know, while I don't think he's your classic number one option on a title team, he gives them about twenty per night on steady shooting. And you know, while there's a lot to be figured out offensively with this starting lineup, there's a lot that's put on his plate. A lot of possessions where it's, hey Tobias, we're not going to run anything really good here. Get us a bucket. And, and we're not going to give you a ton of help. And I think he's done that with these physical isolation and post-up moves in tough spots where I, I think he needs to be recognized that he's handled it well. Again, for, forget the contract and what they gave up for him. I, I do think he's played well. Yeah, it is hard for uh, cap dorks like me and Danny to do that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's 
Certainly there are question marks about him going against the best defenses as your number one pick and roll option late in games. The fact that he shot it poorly, I mean, he had that 0 for 23 streak. Uh, I think that's what it was uh, oh, from yeah. three, which uh, garnered some headlines early. But I agree. I mean, I thought like in the Boston game, for example, there's been a few games where he's been able to get, you know, not awesome looks. It's not defense collapses, wide open corner three because uh, of Tobias Harris. But he's been able to get to his shot at least out of pick and roll from the mid range uh, or floater where it's not, you know, at the end of games, your offense isn't that great anyway. It, most teams uh, shoot it very poorly during the, those periods. So maybe that's going to be good enough. Now, if the other team has their best perimeter defender on him, the, then maybe it, it's a different question. But I, I do think a lot of teams, because of his shooting ability and because Ben Simmons and Al Horford are on the floor, he's going to have the size advantage nearly every night uh, against pretty much every team. And so that's going to... And most teams are going to put bigger guys on Simmons. He he also doesn't struggle as much, I think, with the lack of spacing from Simmons because he can just pull up from the mid-range before the help would become a factor anyway. So I, I agree. Maybe it can work out where he could do just enough for them at the end of games in concert with this great defense. And that's kind of the story of the Sixers offense at this point. Can you get average or it doesn't feel that great because, you know, the way this team is built – I don't think there's any option right now that it, it, you look at it and say, man, that's just plug and play great offense. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think uh, he's another one of those guys who plays a very physical style, but doesn't get to the rim all that much. And that's for different reasons, I think, than Simmons. I think that's just his he, he's not an elite quickness guy. He's he's a guy who likes to pull up in the mid range and shoot over players. But, yeah, he's been a. Uh, He's been pretty good. I think uh in terms of what they need to get better, you know, I think the the defense has been pretty good. You've seen flashes of it, but they're going to need it to be elite because we talk about how the offense uh is, you know, there's some limited options there. I'm not sure how much higher than around 10th in the league it can climb. They're going to need this defense to be the best in the league, and it hasn't quite been to that level yet, and I think some of that is due to different personnel Coming in, when you have Josh Richardson out and you put in Furkan Korkmaz for him, that's a pretty big downgrade. That's somebody who you can really attack on the, uh, you know, when the other team's looking at, at how they're going to go about it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, for th- that's why I say at this point, I'm still not sure what to make of these guys because, you know, the defense has been about what we've expected. The offense has been about what we've expected, but, you know, it, it still remains to be seen if it's good enough. I would say the one thing to me that's been a little bit worse than expectations is uh, Embiid's play. Would you sure. agree with that? Yeah, and and I, how much of it do you think is because there are a lot of factors here. Of course, this was a huge subject this week with the inside the NBA back and forth. I, you know, it was one of those modern media stories where somebody makes a comment about a player, everybody makes a comment about those comments, the player comes back, and it, it turns into a forty-eight hour thing. So I'm curious what you think about this. How much of it do you think is the surrounding personnel, how much of it do you think is just in general that it's kind of hard to post up and that's different than running a pick and roll and, and how much of it is maybe, you know, his conditioning or, or something else like that? I definitely think the surrounding personnel is an undercovered aspect of it. If you look at who he had when I, I mean, I thought to me his most dominant stretch in a Sixers uniform was maybe the first couple of months of last year and then they kind of ran him into the ground 
and you know or maybe he just couldn't hold up you never know what those things what's responsible but they certainly could have been a little more responsible with his minutes but he came back in it was really the first summer that he was able to work on his game get in shape and he came in he was looking ripped he was posting up right at the charge circle and really for the first time it wasn't just throw me the ball in the post and i'm going to just create something with my skill level he was really dominating guys physically and that that was option number one was i'm going to just put your ass in the goal and now we don't see that as much i thought really the first time at least when i've watched a sixers game that we saw that was in the boston game again when he's got daniel tice guarding him (laughs) that makes things a, a lot easier he uh he kills dice, uh, yes, but he does. Th- so I, I would say it's a combination of uh, well. But back to the to the beginning of last year, yeah, they had Fultz out there some, but overall that was Covington, Sharich, and Redick that lineup that blitzed the league the previous year, and that's a lot of shooting. It's just him and Simmons. Everyone else uh, can shoot three pointers. Then they got Butler. I think ch- things changed a little bit, uh, uh, and then they got Harris, who hasn't been able to shoot it very well. Uh, from three to space the floor for him since then so he is in a in a more difficult ecosystem but clearly like if you just look at his body he's not in from a body composition standpoint it doesn't look as good and we just haven't seen those plays where he's really running the floor a lot of it is just i'm going to stand 15 feet from the basket and call for the ball and then deliberately make my move which just is not as effective as you know he's not using his physicality in the same way before the catch as I thought he did last year. So I think it's a, a part of a lot of those things, but the context maybe does get lost to some people that he is dealing with much worse spacing than he was in uh, when he's played his best as a sixer. Yeah, I think it's a lot of things. I agree with a lot of what you said. And part of the reason that he was, uh, he was so good at the beginning of last season was that it was literally the first time in his career that he had a healthy off season. Yeah. And he was working out with Drew Hanlon. They had all those videos with him and, and Jason Tatum. I agree. His body yeah. looked better. As we know, uh, videos have a one-to-one correlation with uh, off-season improvement. So yes, and <laughs> you, you and you and Derek uh, have experienced that with uh, both Simmons and Fultz. <laughs> the, the Fultz videos that Hanlon was putting out there were edited like you know it was like the Zapruder film trying to find. <laughs> Is there actual improvement? I mean, it was it was one of the crazier things. But at least for Embiid, he was a guy that yeah. we've seen play at a high level, and th- that was more just you know it was fun watching him play against Tatum. Yeah, yeah. He uh, so so this season he did not have that healthy offseason. He was able to work on stuff, but because of the knee tendonitis that he was dealing with at the end of last season and into the playoffs. He said that he wasn't able to to get up and down as much as uh, as he had the previous season. So I certainly think that's part of it. I think part of it is that he's trying to figure out how to pace himself a little more. He's he's smart. He he realized that he wasn't healthy for the playoffs last year. And as good as he was at the beginning of the season, what, what does that really matter? If the the game that it was the day before the Brooklyn game, he's uh, he's saying I don't know if I can play because of my knee. And I do think they've done a better job. Now, some of it was, was mandatory load management in the form of that suspension with Carl Anthony Towns, that little brouhaha they had. But he's playing less minutes this year and he's, he's playing a lot fewer games. Some of it is, you know, he was sick the other night too. That's another ridiculous thing with this team. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that two man game with Reddick was just a way to get him easy looks. Yeah. They, they would, it, 
when JJ would pop off that dribble handoff, they would call the play. It was just called elbow and they would run it. I don't know, 12 times a game, 10, 12 times a game. They, uh, whether it was JJ getting an open three or, or that was a way to get Joe better post position because his guy was worried about JJ posting up. So it gave Joe kind of a free run to that charge circle. And then there, there were other ways to get it. It was just fun to watch where JJ, if he was getting top lock, would just run his guy into Joe's guy. And that was a free dunk. That would happen. I don't know. It happened once every couple games at least. So, so that, that is certainly part of it. But, you know, I, I agree with you. And, you know, in general, the, uh, they need to figure out how to get him going in the post. And his, his post passing has been the same story for a few years now where he shows flashes of legitimately great dimes across the court. He'll throw lasers to, to guys. And sometimes this season he won't get credit for them either because it'll be a hockey assist or, or someone like Cork Mazel just brick the three and, and there's nothing you can really do about that. But even when it comes to playing against Toronto, who has a big body like Gasol, teams have been double teaming him like crazy. And, and that's something he's going to have to learn to deal with. But yeah, they're going to need him, you know, in the playoffs, I think to be a one, a 1A scoring option. And, you know, I, I think it's, when you look back at the criticism that Barkley and Shaq had, Giannis and, and Harden and Luca and all of these guys that are perimeter creators, I, I think there needs to be an understanding that, hey, it's it's different from him. Playing in the post is a little harder than that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do think there is some validity to Shaq in particular because Shaq, when he was at his best, he would post up really hard and demand the ball. And now Shaq is a singular force even beyond what Embiid is to be sure. Um, And I think Shaq almost in some ways benefited from not having any kind of a perimeter game because he just, the only way he was getting the ball was if he really posted up hard and got deep position because he couldn't do anything 15 feet from the basket the way Joe could. But, you know, I I think that is somewhat of a reasonable criticism, but I'm withholding judgment. I want to see where he is like you in the playoffs. What do these guys need uh, as we go into the trade deadline here? I know they're pretty limited in terms of their, flexibility but if you had to say hey what's the the most realistic need that they could fill at the trade deadline it probably would have to involve a a trade of mike scott and zaire smith has to uh yeah maybe you could throw trey burke in there uh, as well um but if they were to move those guys and get something what need would they need to fill so if you you were to give me any positional archetype i would say they need a pick and roll ball handler, a, a shot creator of some sort. The problem is at the salary range they are playing at with, like you said, Mike Scott and Zaire, I'm not sure they can get a quality one that moves the needle at, at that point. And I, I think the sense that I got before the season was that they thought it was going to be more of a, a shooter type player that they would yeah. get. But look, it, it, if it's a shooter, it better be somebody with legitimate gravity who, who can make life easier for other people. And, you know, as I'm saying that, the, the exact player I'm thinking of is JJ Redick. But you know, wh- whoever it, it ends up being, I, I do think they need somebody who who makes life easier for other players. But you know, it, it's legitimately it's hard when you're limited in terms of what you can get. I also think this team doesn't want to be in the luxury tax next season, so that's part of the reason they're uh, they're limited. You know, with salaries it'll add up to only about eight or nine million that's why they're shot shopping in that 
that bracket because I think they're only, I think it's $4 million under the tax at this point, and they're about to get really expensive when that Ben Simmons extension kicks in next season. So, yeah, it, it's going to be an offensive guard, but it, it's yeah, just so a question. You're saying they don't want to be in the luxury tax this year. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. they're about to be for a while. Yeah, I mean, the, the Redick one, it just it seems to make so much sense. I'm sure J.J. would – do you know where – like, it is, did his family go with him to New Orleans, or are they still, like, in Brooklyn? I think they went to New Orleans with him because he signed a two-year deal with yeah. them, but I'm not completely sure about that. I I was just talking to him briefly after that game the other day, and it wasn't about how he's doing in New Orleans. We were just kind of catching up after covering him yeah. for a couple of years. I have to imagine he can't be loving losing 11 games in a row after making the playoffs every year of his career and coming so close with the Sixers last year to playing meaningful basketball and playing on those Clippers teams. So that'll be an interesting one. I, I think you know how New Orleans values him will be something to look at because – to me, I thought he was a perfect signing for somebody to put around Zion. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're probably going to want to wait and see it until Zion gets back. But you know, maybe and is they have a ton of first rounders already. Is throwing in a first rounder that's going to be number twenty four overall? Is that something that New Orleans is interested in, or they don't want to just keep him around and uh, help him develop Zion? That's an interesting question. Um, all right, last topic here. What teams do you think the Sixers match up well against, and which ones would you be worried about a matchup against if you're a Philly fan? Yeah, when you first ask that question, the first thing I look at is, do you have a big guy capable of matching Embiid's strength and physicality in the post? Do you think Brooke Lopez falls into that category? That's an interesting one. I Robin Lopez does not. He is actually secretly a terrible post defender, um, but... Brooke Lopez is an interesting one. Yeah. I, I I can't remember how he looked against Brooke last year. I can't really either because, I mean, part of it was because on defense he was guarding Giannis in those games. Yeah. So, yeah, for some reason, those those were fun games, the, the two Sixers-Milwaukee games at the end of the year. Last year, Sixers got one. Milwaukee got one. Giannis scored a billion points, but they didn't make as many shots as they normally do. That uh, that'll be a fun one. But I, I guess in general, I would say for you know seventy five, eighty percent of the league, the answer is no. That they don't have a big guy capable of matching yeah. his uh, you know, just just his brute force that that he can he can give you. And it's you know with, with him, it's it's a combination of two things. It's one that he's stronger than everybody, but he leverages that really well in drawing the BS fouls. And you know when, when a guy starts putting his hands on him, he knows how to get to the line by whether it's the rip through move or, or just flailing his body or, or whatever. And, and that shows up against most of the league. So if you have one of those guys, I think you have a big leg up on the rest of the field. Toronto would be the obvious one. It feels to me like Gasol is legitimately in his head at this point. Even his face up jumpers against Gasol seem rushed like shots that you wouldn't even think Gasol has any effect on. They're not really working. You look at a team like Boston they're two big guys who played really well offensively against him. Give them credit for that. They were uh, they were toast against him on the other end. Yeah, and I don't think that's gonna that's gonna stop. I, I'm thinking back to last year. There was a Christmas Day game when you, you were thinking, "Oh man, he's got to kill Tice because Horford's coming back into the game." And Horford was a guy who w was you know one of that twenty percent of the league who he did it kind of in a different way than Marcus All. It wasn't just bodying him up. Horford really made him work on the other end of the floor as well pulling him out to the three-point line and making him chase there. So so that would be those would be two teams where I, I think 
Uh, Toronto certainly has a leg up just because of the Gasol matchup. The Sixers and Milwaukee, I, I'm really curious to see what that looks like on Christmas Day. I know with, with your podcast with Danny, you've talked about how you think that series might be a rock fight at some point uh, if, yeah. if they were to play. I agree. It's it's funny. They go about their defenses a little differently, though. Milwaukee is so good at sealing off the paint and, and taking away shots at the rim, where the Sixers are militant about funneling drivers towards Embiid. And, and they take away the three-point line better than anybody in the league. Against a team like Milwaukee, that provides kind of an interesting contrast. And and I'll be interested to see how that works. I, the one thing I will say the Sixers, I think, have going for them, and, and I, I'm a little bit hesitant because... Giannis is so damn good that I'm not sure anybody can really stop him at this point. It does feel to me, though, that they have more guys equipped to guard him for stretches than anybody in the world. They have Horford, they have Embiid, and I think the the three-point shooting that Giannis has introduced into his game more recently, is that's a big development because Embiid will just play off him, and he'll say, I'll give you that shot, and you can you can stare at it all day if you want, but, you know. My my thing is I'm not going to let you get those easy dunks and and spin moves at the rim. It'll be interesting, you know, because like Giannis is, and I think Ben Simmons can play him for a little bit. Although when you saw that last year, as as physically, yeah, I, I thought he killed him. Yeah, actually. as physically gifted as Simmons is, Giannis is just so much stronger than him. And it, it's funny, like I think Simmons is in the top, you know, four or five percent of the league in terms of athleticism. His and and he's one of the faster guys, but Giannis just you know I remember that dunk where he uh, I think he had a flex. It's uh it'll it'll be a fun yeah. matchup, man. Yeah. yeah, Simmons has no length. I think that's kind of part of his problem against Giannis too, uh, at least for his size. Um, so I, I went back and looked at it as, as you're talking. Embiid had uh, 34 and 40 points in those two games uh, towards the end of last year. Those are some of the few that he played after the All Star break. Yep last year with the the knee tendon it seems clear that he was up for those games uh he took 13 three-point attempts in one of those games he was four out of 13 that's that shot is going to be there he could take 50 three-point attempts if he (laughs) wanted to against the buck system like they give up to big guys any shot above the break i think it's going to be there for horford uh, on pick and pops too um and i mean Embiid is going to be able to get a bunch of shots. I mean, he took 31 shots in each of those games uh, and didn't hit 50% in either of them. He also had, a, uh, I think, 13 assists in one of the games too, which is just... So Embiid, what Embiid does is not what the Bucks defense is designed to take away, right? They are designed to barricade the rim to drivers. They really help a ton on drivers. Uh, but if you're entering the ball into the post, you're already getting it pretty close to the rim. And then they are going to really help uh, a ton, it seems like. But, I mean, Embiid, when you consider that, he had a game with 31 shots and 13 assists against them. I mean, it, it, it's going to be all he can eat if he can if he can score reasonably well, I think. And, you know, that was a pretty high-scoring game. One of them was 128-122, although there was a lot of crazy fouling and stuff late. So I think if he is good enough, I think he can have a big series against the Bucks. The more I think about it, it's just a question of, you know, is the the jumper going down because they are going to barricade the rim and then how good is his passing game, um, especially again with this team that doesn't have as much shooting as last year's team did. Yeah, and now that you mention it, I do remember that game in Philly. He he definitely got going in the second half. And some of that was post-ups too, where where he got yeah. going against Lopez. Um, yeah, he's a, he was a handful in those games, but... 
they're going to need him to be that yeah. good because I, I yeah. do think they're going to struggle to score otherwise. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, remember Giannis had 52 points and they're saying, oh, the plan is to like let him get his. Uh, but a lot of that was against when Embiid wasn't guarding him. And now that you have Horford, Giannis did kind of solve Horford against the Celtics, but yeah. they were a mess by the end of that series last year. Horford is certainly another body that you can throw at him. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting. It'll probably just come down to who plays better, Giannis or Embiid. Uh, and you know, I think Giannis is definitely a, a step above where Embiid is, but I wouldn't just think it's crazy to think Embiid could outplay him in that series. If I remember correctly, in those regular season games, the Sixers tried to play Boban against him a couple times with the uh, same, yeah. Yeah, with the same idea that with Embiid we're going to let you shoot open threes, but unfortunately Boban is not nearly fast enough to stop Giannis when he has a full head of steam. So. Yeah, I think it'll come down to those guys. And I, I do think that there is a little bit of a sense around the Sixers and maybe even around the league that Milwaukee, what they do is more suited to the regular season. And, and they have this unbelievable formula of Giannis and shooters, but it still needs to be proven that it can work at the highest level and that maybe the Sixers have another gear. But, you know, if you look at where they are right now in the regular season, it's clear that Milwaukee's ahead of them right now. Yeah, I think if you just lined up the talent on those two rosters you might say that the Sixers is better and does is that what's going to win for you in the playoffs in a lot of seasons it has been or is the superior fit of Milwaukee and maybe well certainly at least having the best player uh at least in the regular season is that going to be it all right man, this is awesome thanks so much uh, for joining us uh maybe uh maybe we can two-man it with you and you and Bodner uh for next year's preview that would that would be awesome uh because your sixers beat show it is so good and of course you can follow rich at rich underscore hoffman that's one f two n's uh for him and uh the athletic as well where you're writing how often you're writing for the athletic you're pretty much after every game right yeah we split it up because it's nice that we have a couple people we have another guy mike o'connor who does great video breakdowns for us as well but yeah we uh we split it up but we, we usually have something up after every game either me or Derek. Yeah, I mean, I would say you guys, Toronto, and Golden State just have like uh, maybe the best local coverage on The Athletic. It's really great stuff. So thanks again uh, for joining us, Rich. We appreciate it. Thanks, Nate. Thanks again to Rich for coming on. Got a little more news to get to here. Let's start at Miami where Deion Waiters suspended again. Six games this time for continued insubordination. Ethan Skolnick later reporting that Waiters was suspended due to an Instagram post from a boat when he was supposedly out sick from the team. The Heat don't really have any options to just void his contract other than just continuing to suspend him. And it doesn't really make sense for them to waive him because then they can't use his salary. But it is a total waste of a roster spot as of right now. And James Johnson is another total waste of a roster spot. Fortunately for them, pretty much everyone else on the roster other than Udonis Haslam does contribute. They've also got a couple players out injured. It wouldn't be Miami if they didn't. Goran Dragic with his groin issue, Justice Winslow with that lower back issue will not be making the trip to their game tonight. In Milwaukee, Eric Bledsoe is going to miss two weeks, including the Christmas Day tilt with the Sixers with a right fibula avulsion fracture. That's just where it's really more of a tendon or ligament issue where the end of the tendon kind of gets pulls away a little bit of bone from the bone. So it's not when you hear fracture, you think that it's really terrible. That's not necessarily what this is. This is hopefully just going to be a couple of weeks for him. 
Oklahoma City turns Ferguson is questionable for tonight after missing five straight with hip soreness. He's their starting three is really more of a two, but they are extremely light in the wing, especially with Hamadou Diallo out with that elbow injury. Questionable for tonight. I'm guessing he probably doesn't play, but hopefully he should be back at some point this week. Devin Booker, likewise questionable for tonight. He said he was feeling better Sunday after missing Saturday's game in Mexico City with a right forearm contusion, but he was actually able to get shots up on Sunday. So you would imagine that he's probably going to play. One player who's probably not going to play tonight is Fred Van Vliet, still doubtful with that knee contusion. He was listed as doubtful over the weekend as well and did at least try to warm up. But So I suppose there's some chance uh, that he plays tonight. Utah, Mike Conley doesn't have a designation that I'm aware of, but he did successfully go through portions of practice on Sunday. Remember, they tried to do that about a week earlier and it suffered a setback. No indication that that happened yet. So hopefully he can return in the next week or so. For Washington, disappointing that Mo Wagner has another ankle sprain now. I remember he missed time earlier in the month with that. Thomas Bryan is also out with a foot issue and Wagner is the one guy who gives them some modicum of rim protection. He takes a, a lot of charges, does a, some verticality and his ability to space the floor at the center position helps them a lot as well so with him out it's either Bertans or Hachimura playing center for the Wizards uh I'd probably take any guards who are going against them if you're uh looking for someone to do something in fantasy for the Lakers AD sprained his ankle last night against the Hawks did not appear to be moving particularly well after that he said he's going to try to play in their game on Tuesday with the Lakers 24 and 3 they might want to see if they can give him a, a rest though for the Clippers Landry Shamet returned from that high ankle sprain that looked pretty good over the weekend for Indiana Victor Oladipo it's still looking like it's going to be quite some time Jay Michael asked him when the last time was that he dunked and he said it had been a while so the reports that he's doing some five on five scrimmaging if he's not even dunking yet and who knows Victor has been pretty cryptic about this but if that's true, that wouldn't indicate he's going to be back anytime soon. Eric Paschal for Golden State has missed two straight with a hip injury, and he played limited minutes uh, before that. But Steve Kerr says that he is going to play on Wednesday. I was at their game against the Kings last night. One of the worst NBA basketball games you're ever going to see. The Kings had 29 turnovers and won by 20. This Golden State offense is absolutely pathetic right now very troubling news out of detroit blake griffin sore left knee you'll recall that's the one that he had all the issues with the one that he had surgery on last year the one that he played on a bunch before he had the surgery when he couldn't make it any worse quote unquote that always works out well right he had an mri on his left knee per woge on sunday we haven't heard the results of that yet but he had to leave saturday after only playing 15 minutes you imagine that if he's still feeling this discomfort and he hasn't been playing particularly well he's had a couple of big games but it hasn't looked anywhere close to where he did last year uh more additional time missed could be on the horizon also andre drummond missed a game after apparently having an allergic reaction in his eye to eating an avocado this only resonated with me because my mother-in-law claims to be allergic to avocados but she actually just doesn't like them but drummond apparently is actually allergic i didn't know that was something that could happen with avocados in denver paul Millsap missed two straight with right quad tightness 
unclear when he'll be able to return there and Tim McMahon reporting out of Dallas that Luka Doncic who suffered that right ankle sprain against the Heat over the weekend it's it was termed a moderate ankle sprain he's likely to return within the next couple of weeks but be interesting to see how Dallas fares without him also want to see how Kristaps Porzingis fares as more of a main engine potentially Kristaps did say though that he wants to still work within the system that he's not going to go back to playing the way he did in his Knicks days we could probably see more of J.J. Barea, who's made a pretty good return from that torn Achilles, frankly, uh, as a, a ball handler. Rick Carlo, safety blanket there. For Charlotte, P.J. Washington fractured a pinky on his right hand. He's going to miss at least five games. And Marvin Williams still out with a sore knee. No indication of when he might return. A lot of eye issues lately. Boston, Marcus Smart's left eye infection has now spread to his right eye. He's missed three straight games, including the game we did for the NBA cast. Thursday against Philly, Rob Mahoney was kind enough uh, to join us for that. By the way, no NBA cast this week. I'm going to be in Las Vegas for the G League Showcase. Try and get you guys some interesting intel there for when I come back. Uh, and then Robert Williams has a bone edema in his left hip. That's a similar, managed it similarly to a fracture. And it's going to be three weeks until he's even reevaluated Williams. The opportunity is there, I think, for him to get more minutes, but he really just can't seem to stay healthy for more than a few games at a time, whether it's groin issues, knee and now uh, this left hip issue. All right, we got lots more coming this week. Don't forget to listen to Hollinger Duncan. We did a Western Conference mailbag hitting at least four minutes on each of the teams in the West. That was really fun to do that with John. It talked a lot about trades, what some of these teams need, what playoff matchups uh, are going to look like. So that was a, a ton of fun. We, we had just a crazy number of submissions in terms of questions. So thanks to everyone who contributed there. So just search Hollinger in your podcast player. Give us a rating or review. We always... Uh, appreciate that as well or tell a friend about dunked on there are a lot of podcasts out there and we thank you for listening to ours and uh allowing me to stay as an independent journalist we really appreciate the support talk to you all tomorrow till then hot off the press from maybelline new york it's new lifter plump an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts from eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP.